I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Austin Letcher. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. everybody, and welcome to another episode of Chords Cast. As always, my name is Ben Ford, and I thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me. This episode of Chords Cast is being released on April 1st, but I wanted to give you all a heads up on some of the cool things that we've got coming up in May, um, right here at our own facility. Uh, the first of which is our Great Plains Rare Disease Summit. So this is the ninth year that we've been putting it on. Um, it's a part scientific, part advocacy symposium. Um, it's a Friday and Saturday. I think it's May 10th and 11th. And um, the Friday day is spent uh, in the scientific talks. So there's a lot of, um, we bring in scientists from around the, um, the country and the world really to speak about their rare disease research. Um, and uh, then on the Saturday event, it's really a community building day where we talk a lot about the resources that are available to the rare disease patients in the, um, in the region and um, get them in touch with, uh, with services or with groups that are looking out for their best interests. The second thing uh, or cool thing that we've got coming up is the PPALS um, Patient Advocacy Training Program. And so PPALS stands for Professional Patient Advocates in Life Sciences. They're a group that we partner with to put on this training, um, this seminar series. Uh, at our facility here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And that's going to be that same week, um, the, the May uh, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, uh, somewhere in there. And you can, you can find all of that information um, by Googling ppals, ppals.org, um, and you can find out all sorts of cool information about that program as well. So those are two awesome chances that the, our listeners have to come to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, learn more about Sanford, learn more about Sanford Research and what we're doing here, and then um, get to meet some of us um, that are fortunate enough to work um, in the rare disease space. So um, please consider that. Check it out. Uh, we'd be more than happy to, to meet with any of you here in person. Um, so in terms of this episode of Chords Cast, uh, we're featuring an interview that Austin and Alyssa did with one of our longtime partners, the Cornelia DeLange Syndrome Foundation. Um, they spoke with Bonnie Royster, who's the executive director, and with Rich Holland, who is the, um, he's, a, he's a PhD scientist, and he's the chair of the CDLS uh, Foundation Research Committee. And so they go into um, a lot of discussion about what CDLS is, um, what's available, and what does the foundation try to do for the, the people there. Um, it's, it's a great interview, and uh, I hope you enjoy.
Chords Accords cast. This is Austin Letcher, and I'm with uh, Alyssa Mendel from the Chords team here, and we have Rich Holland and Bonnie Royster from the CDLS Foundation. Rich, could you uh, give our uh, audience a quick introduction? Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Rich Holland. Um, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, but I also happen to work with the CDLS Foundation as the chair of the research committee. Um, so even though the, the foundation is based in Connecticut, uh, I still communicate with them regularly and uh, do a number of things to help support uh, research efforts for the foundation. Thanks for that. Okay, Bonnie, uh, you're up next. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Bonnie Royster. I'm the executive director of the CDLS Foundation. As Rich alluded to, we are headquartered here in Avon, Connecticut, but we are a national organization. Thank you for that. Uh, so, so yeah, I think uh, one way I like to get this podcast started is kind of touch on your connection to the rare disease community. community. Um, Rich, can you tell us that story a little bit? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm actually a big brother uh, to uh, uh, my younger sibling, uh, Joe. Uh, Joe was born uh, in 1980 with CDLS, uh, but he passed away in 1982. Um, so my connection is a very personal one because uh, I have a very, uh, very deep-rooted family connection to a, uh, someone who uh, was born with CDLS, and so CDLS directly affected uh, me and my family. Yeah, that's a story we hear all too often here at Chords, and uh, I'm I'm just really happy that you know you've chosen the path to kind of keep Joe's memory alive through advocacy and and research, and I think that's a really rewarding rewarding thing to do. Uh, Bonnie, can can you tell us a little bit about your connection to the rare disease community and CDLS? Well, you know, uh, Austin, I've always worked with helping supporting people most of my life, both uh, professionally and unprofessionally. But this is the first time I've headed a rare disease organization, and I've been just profoundly moved by the community and how people come together and learning what uh, these families have to go through. In fact, I have my own personal hashtag for it. I call them CDLS strong because they're not just regular strong. You're CDLS strong. (laughs) You know what I mean? But my connection really has been learning from them. That's great. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I haven't always been in the rare disease community either. It's something that kind of fell in my lap. And then once I got introduced to the community and saw how many passionate people there are out there, I just fell in love with it. And it's it's a really cool space to be. Yeah, I really like that hashtag you have, Bonnie, the CDLS strong. Could you or Rich tell me a little bit about Cornelia DeLange syndrome, like what it is? Sure. Um, so Cornelia de Lange syndrome is a genetic condition. Um, it's typically characterized by a number of things like slow growth. Um, often children are, are tend to be on the small side. Uh, they often have intellectual disability, sometimes some limb abnormalities in their arms and legs, uh, such as fused fingers and toes. Um, and probably the one thing that characterizes all of them is very distinct facial features. Um, it's very common to go around at a symposium uh, or at a, a conference and, and meet a bunch of children, and you can recognize very quickly that they all have a very distinct features. Um, and the, probably the, the biggest challenge that we face with CDLS is that um, there's a wide range of medical issues. 
that come from that. And as a result, most people with CDLS uh, require uh, multidisciplinary care. So, you know, a lot of different specialists in a lot of dis- different disciplines uh, who come together to provide, uh, you know, good and accurate um, care for someone with CDLS. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Rich, I've heard parents say, uh, that one parent told me in their child's first year of life, they spent 280 days out of 365 wow. in the hospital <clears throat> or at different uh, specialists. So it's a pretty uh, medically intensive um, environment for the parents. You're constantly at the doctor's office. Yeah, and I think another thing to add to that is um, I mentioned how there's a lot of variety in CDLS. Um, and as Bonnie mentioned, you know, there are often families who um, in the first year or two of life are spending pretty much every waking moment uh, in medical care for their child. Um, and the flip side of it is that we often have individuals who might make it till, um, you know, till they're in grade school or even, even later before they receive a diagnosis, and it's not until some learning dis- disability starts to, to pop up uh, that it starts to get recognized that there, there actually is something to be concerned about, and there's more to it uh, than just someone being a little bit smaller than their classmate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Would, Rich, would you say that CDLS is commonly misdiagnosed? If so, what are some of the other conditions it gets misdiagnosed for? Um, yeah, I, there are a few. Um, there's not that many where it gets confused for other things. Um, most of the other other disorders that it gets confused with are, are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side of it is we actually are coming across more and more people who are just not being diagnosed. Um, they have a mild form of CDLS, um, so they might be able to do a number of things very, very much uh, normally, uh, nor they might be able to go to school. They might be able to dress themselves, uh, take care of themselves for the most part. Um, but what we come to find is that a lot of times those individuals, without any sort of um, severe disability, they're not being diagnosed at an early age. And uh, the end result of that is a lot of those people are having uh, have difficulties and have medical complications, but they're not being found until much later in life. It's a huge uh, strategic objective for the foundation is to just make the general public aware, also make uh, the medical professionals aware of it. In fact, we have a PBS special coming up on Rare Disease Day that talks about CDLS exactly for that purpose. Wow, that's awesome. I, I'm looking forward to that special. You guys both mentioned that there are many different symptoms, just like a wide range, many different physicians. Is there a center of excellence currently for CDLS patients? If so, where is that? Um, yeah, we actually have several centers of excellence. One of them is at uh, Greater Baltimore Medical Center, which is where our medical director resides. We also have the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, um, St. Louis University, and Rich, I'm so sorry, the name of the university, is it St. Uh, Louis? It is St. Louis University. And Dale Dorsett is the main guy there, and also University of California at Irvine. Those are our centers of excellence. That's great to have multiple centers. I, I, I imagine uh, that's uh, a lot of work, hard work went into that through the CDLS Foundation. Were you guys involved in creating those, or did they already exist when uh, CDLS was, Foundation was founded? So we really sort of 
tried our best to both mainly to recognize those individuals uh, who were providing uh, high-quality care for individuals with CDLS or performing high levels of research um, devoted to CDLS. And so a little bit of it was to recognize them. The other part of it was to be able to link them to each other so that they could start working more and more together um, so that these centers of excellence, even though they're spread out across the country, would be working together to achieve goals uh, to improve care for people with CDLS. Yeah, so can you talk a little bit more about that? How do they do that? Do they share reports? Do they publish papers together, um, publish case studies, or uh, how does that happen? It's a little bit of everything. Uh, it's a lot of a lot of phone calls and emails, but um, there's a lot of things where um, people are sharing share data when they can. Um, they're sharing reagents when possible. Um, for example, at uh, UC Irvine, um, Ann Kaloff and Art Lander had uh, devi- uh, developed uh, a mouse model for CDLS, uh, and they've been able to share those mice uh, with other researchers across the country, like Dale Dorsett at St. Louis U. Uh, or at Ian Krantz at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And so, it, you know, rather than just being able to perform these experiments at UC Irvine, there are other people taking advantage of that and working together to answer different questions uh, in order to get a more comprehensive understanding of CDLS. You just said two of my favorite words, share data. That's all. <laughs> that's what CORDS is all about. I, I love hearing researchers talking about collaborating and sharing data. That That's awesome. Um, I kind and, of, and I think more kind of along those lines, more so now uh, in you know recent years with funding being a lot more um, scarce from NIH, uh, a lot of those uh, centers of excellence are collaborating together on research grants. Um, and so that way they're co-investigators uh, answering much larger questions that increases their opportunity for funding, uh, but also allows them to work together collaboratively to in order to achieve those goals. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. Uh, I kind of want to take a sidestep a little bit and uh, ask ask Bonnie, what other types of things does uh, the CDLS Foundation get involved in? I, I think you guys have like um, conferences and, and things like that. Can you tell us what other support uh, you offer patients and families? Yes, actually because I wanted to talk a little bit about what the CDLS Foundation actually is. Um, It's a family support organization founded back in 1981, really by a pair of concerned and dedicated moms who were just, you know, like all moms, looking for answers. Mm -hmm. But they they banded together and started reaching out to other parents, sharing information and support. And since those very humble beginnings, the organization has grown unbelievably. We now have a team of dedicated medical experts, researchers from around the country, a professional paid staff, and I I think the heart of us is the families. We have a community of 3,000 families strong. So that's a really amazing growth uh, from our uh, humble beginnings. And I think what, you know, I often reflect on that's pretty remarkable is that only about 40% of rare diseases have an associated foundation, you know, to support their um, their journey. And CDLS Foundation is very lucky to be one of those that do. Uh, but in terms of, to your earlier question, in terms of some of the services, you know, when you have a rare disease, it can be isolating and it can be overwhelming. So a big thing I feel we do provide is that support. 
the foundation hosts family gatherings around the country so people don't have to travel too far to meet other people who are going through something similar or in the share of the joys too because believe it or not even though you have a rare disease these children really can make you smile they really force you to think about what's important in life so those family gatherings are an opportunity for them to come together and share with each other and i think that's a very important service that the foundation does provide i think you know we talked earlier about the extensive amount of time that our families spend in the doctor's office and when you think about it one of our other just amazing services is those experts at these centers of excellence, they come together and they answer parents' very specific question in a program called Ask. I can always have difficulty saying it, but Ask the Expert. And parents can get their personal questions directly answered by an expert. So that, it's very reassuring to many of our parents. And uh, just two more things. I think another thing that happens often is you know, they have to advocate for their child in school because obviously they have a special need and they're going to need additional services. And many parents have said to me how intimidating that process is. So the foundation has put together a team of experts who help them put together their PPTs and advocate in front of the various school boards. And last but certainly not least is our national conference, which brings together these experts and the families they are able to get free medical consultations, uh, meet other families in person, hear experts in the field of special needs and experts also in the, uh, in the uh, field of CDLS. So these are just a few examples of the many things that the foundation does do to support our parents. That sounds like a lot of great uh, services that you offer. Uh, I wanna to touch, yes. touch on something <clears throat> That you mentioned was it? Did you say you you have you support three hundred or three thousand families? Three thousand. We think that there are maybe it's estimated that there's probably thirty thousand people living in the United States with CDLS. The foundation is aware of about three thousand of them. So you, in our database, we have about three thousand families who we know has CDLS. You just read my mind. So yeah, that's where I was going to go. Uh, uh, ask about uh, about the prevalence, and uh, so it sounds like there's some opportunity for growth, and and still to reach out to those people. How do people typically find you? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. We just um, we wondered the same thing, and we had a a thought uh, that you know was word of mouth, but we actually just redesigned our website, and one of the questions on the site was, "How did you hear about the CDLS Foundation?" And the two top answers, the top answer is internet search. So they found out about us through Google. The almighty Google gods directed them to us. <laughs> or they're medical professional, which to me was a very encouraging thing, that doctors are starting to recognize that these foundations are very important in helping the families uh, have support. I think that's so wonderful how much the CDLS Foundation has grown. You know, we... Mm we as humans, you know, we're wired for connection. And sometimes even if we're not getting the answers that we're looking for, even just having people to listen to us and to support us, there's just so much to be said about that. And it sounds like you guys have really built a great community for people. I yes, think that's yes. wonderful. Um, I, I was wondering, though, this is for Richard Bonnie. you know, what advice do you give parents and patients who have received a diagnosis of CDLS? Well, you know, I, 
I think the first thing I always say is you can just imagine they might feel alone or they can't even begin to imagine how they're going to get through it. You know, maybe they had a child and they thought one thing and then the child is born and they realize, oh my goodness, what is this? And no one knows what it is, what the uh, CDLS is when I say it. Um, and they feel a bit overwhelmed. But I think what I would say to a parent in that situation is just take a moment and process your feelings and then get on with the business of taking care of your child. You know, in the beginning, you know, people just think about the diagnosis. But after a while, it just becomes their child who happens to have that diagnosis. So I would suggest that they get in contact with the foundation. We have a wealth of services and support that's available. We can connect them with other new moms who've gone through it. And also, I, I think what's been so key in our community is the Facebook discussion groups. Because the parents, they don't hold back anything. They, it's raw feelings. Mm -hmm. They don't have to prettied up in front of other people to just say what they're going through. And there's great value in that. Yeah, I think along those same lines, I know that from the family conferences as well as other situations, you know, probably one of the main things that, that I try to convey to families is just because they received a diagnosis doesn't mean that they're the first ones who are going through this. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of other families have been through it before and have some great advice. Um, and one of the, I think one of the really great things about the CDLS Foundation is that um, our, our, uh, our family care coordinators are individuals who are able to say, okay, let me understand your situation and I can pair you up with people who have already been through a similar situation. And in that way, you know, someone has gone before you and someone has, has already, you know, made the mistakes or has found the successes and they're able to share that information so that if that road is not nearly as rocky as it could be. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, we, we tend to sort of feel like, especially in the rare disease community. I know in my case, um, you know, when my brother was born, we were in the state of Oregon at the time. Um, I think there were a grand total of three children with CDLS that were diagnosed in the state. So for us, it really did feel like we were the only ones. Um, and so to be able to know, like right now, that we can call the foundation with a diagnosis and they can say, well, we have people who are in your area who also have CDLS and who have children who are maybe a few years older and who have gone through, for example, as Bonnie was saying earlier, some of the educational challenges or perhaps finding uh, a specialist uh, who specializes in GI issues related to CDLS so that you're not just going out there and having to educate your care provider, but you're able to find someone who has already seen other people with CDLS. Great point, Rich. I think that's really fantastic that you guys link other families to families that have previously went through similar things that they're going through. That's, that's, really, that's a really cool thing that you offer. I do want to know, why do you guys feel like patients and families should advocate for research in CDLS? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> why not is probably a better one. I like that answer. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think one of the things that I continue to try to tell people is that um, in the rare disease community, and particularly in CDLS, um, there's not necessarily a lot of other people who are going to advocate for you. Um, and in a lot of situations, you know, you want answers for your child. 
And the only way that you're going to get answers, uh, you know, research-related answers for what's the best way to care for your child uh, is going to come down to being able to push for research in that field. Because if you're not out there and you're not, you know, running around and saying, you know, we need to look at this particular thing, um, then the research will not get done. And if the research is, you know, researchers are going to go where they feel there's a need. And if families can continue to stand up and say, hey, this is something that's important to me and to my family and to others like us, then researchers are going to respond to that. And our research community um, has been doing that. Um, we've been perform- you know, taking surveys, for example, to find out what are the, the, the questions that are on uh, the minds of our families so that our researchers know what's the right question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just up to them. It's up to what's going to be the best thing for the community. Well put, yeah. I'm, I'm curious now, is there a gene a specific gene known for CDLS or, uh, you know, a specific chromosome that's affected. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Rich? Sure. So there's a, a number of genes that are, um, that are, that can be affected that lead to CDLS. Um, and the primary one that we see most often is called NIPBL. Um, but all of the genes that are affected, and there's, I think about seven or eight that have been identified right now. Um, but all of those genes essentially work together in what's called a cohesin complex. Uh, and so they go to regulate uh, gene transcription in a very specific way, uh, especially during uh, embryonic development. Um, and so, if, you know, essentially it's, it's not necessarily this, you know, uh, this broad change or gross change in chromosome structure or anything like that. It's really just a change to um, one of these proteins that work together in order to uh, control uh, gene expression. And so kind of the end result is that depending on which mutation or whether the mutation's in one of those proteins or a different one, you can get sort of different um, levels or or sort of a different severity of uh, CDLS. And, you know, right now, one of the things that's really kind of a hot topic uh, in the community is to try to uh, work together and find out you know, how do these different proteins all work together and how can we compensate for those if there is, for example, one situation where um, one protein doesn't work as well, is there a way to, to compensate for that so that it uh, will function as normally as possible? Um, but one of the things I think I want to try to convey, um, in particular when it comes to diagnosing CDLS, is that all of the mutations, uh, I would say the vast majority of the mutations that we have seen um, are spontaneous, so they are not necessarily passed down uh, generation to generation. Um, they are something that arise uh, very, you know, spontaneously, um, in, either in the sperm or the egg, uh, and so then it, it occurs very. It, it, oftentimes, our families will have one child with CDLS, but all of the other children are are normal and healthy. Um, and that's something that we have to reiterate to our families because oftentimes when you say that it's a, uh, a genetic condition um, and it's a mutation, a lot of families may have a child with CDLS and become very scared that all of their children will have CDLS. Um, and that's something we have to try to, to reiterate to them. Yeah, thanks for that description. Uh, the, the reason I'm asking is because I'm, I'm curious how um, researchers stumble into the, the research that they they do. So I wondered if 
maybe there was a particular type of researcher that uh, you guys tried to recruit. You know, sometimes researchers aren't even aware uh, of what they are studying, you know, that it actually causes a disease downstream. So do you guys have anything in place where you reach out to researchers that study those genes or um, maybe recruit people uh, that work on embryonic development? Or Have you guys given that any thought? Um, we do a little bit, um, especially the, our current research community uh, does uh, quite frequently reach out um, and especially to look at individuals who are working on things that are either similar or closely related. Um, so oftentimes it may be syndromes that um, maybe have some overlap. Um, we've also noticed that, you know, for example, I mentioned there's this cohesin complex. So there are often other people out there who are not necessarily working in the context of CDLS, but are working on what that complex does. Um, and so we you know, oftentimes our researchers are, you know, reaching out to these people uh, at meetings and at conferences um, as a way to try to get a handle on what they're doing and whether or not, um, you know, what they're doing could help us, uh, you know, find find out what's going on in CDLS. Um, and oftentimes it's, it's just a matter of, you know, blind luck, so to speak. You know, people are, some people are out you know, doing research on something and, you know, next thing you know, they, they turn around and they go, oh, this happens to be related to CDLS. Um, and we've seen that several times where people have reached out to us for um, research grant funding uh, or asking us uh, if they can have uh, access to, um, to members of our community, for example, uh, because they just want to know if, you know, what they're working on can actually apply to CDLS. Uh, and could be informative for uh, the community. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, I'm going to do a a shameless plug here. I think that's one of the most important reasons to enroll in courts. Uh, You know, people can start contributing their data uh, before the research even happens. And then when that researcher is found, uh, they can access that data, and they're going to be, you know, light years ahead of where they would be if we had to start from scratch and start recruiting people and um, or, you know, determining the questions and that sort of thing. So um, I know that you guys have a, a disease-specific registry with us, and I want to encourage all of our listeners out there that haven't heard of CORDS and the patient registry yet to contact Alyssa or I or, um, you know, email us at CORDS at SanfordHealth.org. You can call us at one 658 9192 and and you'll get one of us, and, and we can help you enroll, and uh, you can start contributing data. And hopefully, uh, Rich and Bonnie, you know, and Alyssa and I, if we're doing our jobs right, we'll get um, that data in the hands of researchers down the road and, and help recruit. So I, I thank you both so much for joining us today, but I, I want to give you guys kind of the, the reins and, um, you know, get, have a call to action to see if there's anything else we missed, anything else you want your, your listeners to, to know. Well, I would just start by saying, you know, if you're hearing this broadcast and you have a child or you have someone in your family with CDLS, please do contact the foundation and let us be there with you. Yeah, and I, I would argue the exact same thing. I think that people, um, you know, if, uh, if you are, have been suspected of having a, a CDLS diagnosis or if a physician has told you, um, it, it's really very important and very valuable um, to both yourself and to the community uh, to reach out to the foundation and get connected with other families 
and also get connected with other resources uh, that could be available in order to help uh, improve your life. Um, the other part of that, too, is, you know, for everyone out there who has received a diagnosis of CDLS, um, being able to use a registry like the one at Cords allows us to put all of that data together. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, we only know about 3,000 families, and we suspect there's many, many more out there. Um, and we don't have access, and researchers don't have access uh, to all of the information that that, um, that comes with that. And so being able to have a registry like CORDS allows for all of that information, medical information and information related to mutations and to, um, to gene questions that can all be housed in one place and can all allow for researchers to be able to ask, you know, big, broad questions that pertain to CDLS. I just have another question, too. You guys mentioned there's the PBS special coming out around Rare Disease Day. Do you have anything yeah. else coming down the pipeline, any conferences or any other events that you want to share about? Well, I'm not sure when your listeners will be uh, listening to the broadcast, but in 2020, we're going to have our National Family Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that's going to be June 25th through June 28th. And also, if you're a researcher interested in finding out more about CDLS, uh, two days before that, the 23rd and 24th, or excuse me, the 24th and 25th of June 2020, we'll have our scientific symposium also. Great. Yeah, that's that'll be a wealth of resources and information, I think, for, for all our listeners here. Um, mm. I wanted to echo some thoughts uh, that Rich kind of made me think about, and one of the things I think we forget to tell people about cords is that we're free. We're cost-free, so uh, we're um, operated by a non, not-for-profit healthcare system. Uh, so uh, it's free for the patients. It's free for the researchers. We don't hold the data proprietary, so we're not selling it to pharma or anything. We're not trying to look to get anything out of this. I mean, the goals are to uh, provide the free resource in hopes that we're going to help accelerate cures and treatments. So if you are on the fence, you know, about providing your data, we understand it's, you know, personal information, but we do our best to be the very best stewards of it that we possibly can. So Rich, Bonnie, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, yeah, it was thank very you informative. You're thank welcome. you very much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Cordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cordscast.